Have you ever tried to explain to somebody what love is? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's songs about love. There's, there's all these things about Valentine's and all these things that we do about love. How do you explain to what love is? You say love is a feeling. Well, it's got to be more than a feeling. Love is an action. Okay, then does, I mean, does, it, does that mean it's not a feeling? It's like, so what exactly is love? And we, we try to explain that. It's, it's powerful in our, in our world today that we use the same word for everything. It's like, I love pumpkin pie. I love chocolate. I love my kids. I love God. But are all those things on the same level? But you, we use the same word for all of those things, and there's a reason for that. I, I, I know that the, just the words, I love you, have power. If, if I was to say, if I was in a party or whatever, and I was to say, man, I just love chocolate cake, and I turned to a random say, stranger and I said, and I love you, would that cause issues? Yes, that'd be a little weird. <clears throat> it's the same thing with guys. It's such a powerful phrase to say the words, I love you, that guys can say it to other guys. I mean, we can say, you know, to people that we love and our parents and stuff, but if, if you say it to a guy, you have to end with the words bro or man. You have to. I love you, man. He's like, what's up, bro? I love you, bro. You know, you, you've got to put it in there. If not, it's just awkward. You can't go to one of your guy's buddies, you know, and, and, and just, you know, bowling or something like that and just say, I love you. You know, it's like, it gets real awkward really fast. But, you know, when you say, I love you, bro, it's the same thing. It's just different. Uh, when Jen and I were dating, uh, your, your relationship grows and you start uh, ex- expressing it different. But sometimes you just don't know where the other person is. And I told you guys many times about how we would write these letters when we were in college. And they, would, they had a mail system where they would deliver them to the different dorms and stuff that evening. And I just remember just watching to see how she would close the letter. If it went from your friend or sincerely or whatever, and then it started going to love Jenny, love Jen, love ya, you know, just different phrases like that. And I've, I've actually shared that with you guys before, and I brought in the letters and kind of read different parts of it. But what was not in the letters at that point was the words, I love you. Because you guys know in a relationship to say the words, I love you, is to take it to another level. It's not the same anymore. If, if you're ever on the first date and say, man, this was a really great date, you might say at the end of it and just say, I really like you. But if you say the words out on first date, I love you, I promise you, you're probably not going to get a call back. It was like a little, too, a little too strong. You're just like, what do you mean? I just had a great time. No, it means something. It has significance. It carries on weight to it. Uh, and, and it just changes things. I remember when I was falling in love with Jen and we were growing in our relationship, we went to church and I, I remember going out to this bench and I, I, I had it in my mind. And a lot of you maybe had that moment in your relationship where you decided, I'm going to tell them I love them. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Saying those words to those, that person to say, I'm going to tell you I love you. But when I was going to do that, I wanted to make sure that she felt the same way. You know, I didn't want to like say, hey, I love you and her be like, Okay, you know, like thanks or, you know, whatever. Uh, you, you just want to make it one of those awkward things. So I remember we were sitting on the bench. I don't know if Jenny would remember this. I, I was sitting on the bench, and while we were sitting on the bench, I looked at her and said, there's something I want to say to you and tell you how I feel, but I don't know if you feel the same way. And she said, I think I know what you're going to say. And I said, okay. So my dumb idea was, because she said that, I was just going to say, well, then you say it first. Because I, I, I thought, we're all thinking the same thing, and I brought up the conversation. It's like, you say it first. 
So let me just tell you, that romantic thing turned into a fight. <laughs> and we didn't walk away like saying, I was like, you say it. No, you say it. Well, you brought it up. And, and things, because it is, it's, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful thing. But the question is, what is it? I mean, what, what, is, what is love? And I know the world has all these different definitions of this that can be so confusing because we throw out that one word for everything. Let me, let me tell you why it's so confusing. If you were going to go to the Greek and show you behind the scenes, and I know this will identify, we're going to compare these two. And I did this before. I actually looked it up. I, I, I used the same uh, definitions and explained this a number of years ago. It was like about five years ago. So there's eros, which is the more sensual love. That is more, it comes, that's where the word erotic comes from. Um, it is, it is a, a love between people that love each other, that show and express in that way. Uh, it's where we get the word erotic from. And so you can't, you can't have a relationship based on that. It can be part of a relationship, but it can't be based on that because that's based on feelings that come and go. It's based on chemistry and things like that. It comes and goes. So storge is this other word, and that word means like a, like a, like a family love or family connection. That's the, how you can have a child, and before they're even born, you're just like, I love them so much. It's a natural love that, that's from you that is expressed to a kid. That you, you would, you're willing to get up with them in the middle of the night as they're sick because you, you love them in that way. And that's the same way that you can express that love to a grandparent or something like that. I love them. I'm, I, I want to spend time with them and things. And then phileo love is where we get the city of Philadelphia. It is, uh, it's the love that's brotherly love. That, that love can be expressed for anything that is dealing with uh, an object or a person. So if you say, I love the Buckeyes, that would be that kind of love. Or if you say um, to my friends, I'm just so thankful, I love you all very much. It's not necessarily a family love. It's not the erotic love, but it is a brotherly love. It is it's just a connection there that you appreciate and value. The thing that all those types of love have in common is the fact that they fail. And they're not stable and they're not consistent. And that's what the world knows. <clears throat> you can have somebody that's so in love and like, oh man, the chemistry is so great. But then, then that fades out. Or you have somebody, even you raise your kids and then you say, I don't know what happened. My kids just, you know, adored me growing up and we were so tight and close. And then you have a falling out in the relationship between parents or something. <clears throat> and then they don't even call you anymore. It fails. It falls short. And even the brotherly love, it's like, this is my best friend. We're going to die together. It's going to go to the world, to the end of the world together, all these things. And then something happens and it's like things fell apart. Uh, marriages are based on that. Things fall apart. Things, it, it, it fades away. It starts off strong and then it, it doesn't last in that way. So, so what, what is the difference? It's, and, and, and you guys know this. You, you all knew that friend that was so... Uh, fallen in love with somebody, that they, it was gross. You guys know what I'm talking about? They got each other. It was all gross. And the, the way that they used the pet names for each other are all snuggled up next to each other. And, you know, they stare at each other awkwardly and it's gross and you just want them to get out of your house and just, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's that type of relation. And we've all known people like that. And then there's just like, we're, we're going to get married and live on love for the rest of our life. And they get married and they say, I literally married a princess. She could do no wrong. She's perfect. She's an angel from heaven, all this. You don't see them for a while. Five years later, they're in divorce court. I can't stand them. And they can't say one good thing about them. And you say, what in the world happened? How could they have a combination of all of these things and then everything fall apart so fast? 
because it's based on us. And we fail and we mess up and we're up and down and we fall in love and fall out of love. And that's why a lot of people, when they get to this, they just say, I don't know if there's such a thing as true love. What do they mean by that? True love is something that's going to last, something that's stable. When they get and make the commitment, the vows to one another, and they say, for better, for worse, till death do us part, they mean that. And, and I think in the world today, you say, I have seen that. And we'll get to that. you just like, but what makes a difference? People today are looking for something real. Do you know what we want in a relationship when it's based on any one of these things is faithfulness. If I commit my heart to you, I want you to be faithful. I want to know that you're going to keep on being there. I want you to know that you see me, that you love me, that you express that to me, that you self-sacrifice for me, all those different things. <clears throat> Do you honest, a, a crazy illustration of something that a company in our world that honestly gets this of looking for the real thing is Coca-Cola. It, it really is. So there's, uh, Coca-Cola has been around for a long time. In Coca-Cola, there's a lot of knockoffs and imitations of it. And they try to replicate it. Can it. Let me find all my Coke people right now. Like right now. Just like there is Coke and there's nothing else. Okay. So I remember being a kid and I said, Mom, I'd love some Coke. Could you get Coke? And we didn't have a lot of money. So it wasn't just a regular thing for there to be Coke in the fridge. And I remember Mom coming back with Big K Cola. And, and I'm like, Mom, that's not Coke. She goes, it says right on the bottle. It's Cola. I said, Mom, it's a knockoff. It is not the real thing. And then there's Shasta, and there's uh, Big K, and there's all the different brands that you would get from the different grocery stores and things. And, and the thing about it is, uh, if you go to a store and there's another brand out there that's not nearly as good, who knows what it is? Pepsi's not nearly as good, but they feel like they're the runner up. They're not even the runner up. They're not even close. It tastes radically different than the other. But you go to a store, you go to a restaurant, and you say, I want a Coke. Okay, and they bring it back, and you say, this is not a Coke. Oh, it's, it's Pepsi, but it's almost the same thing. It is not the same thing. It is not the same thing. Well, Coca-Cola grabbed a hold of this concept. In the 1970s, they started a slogan saying, Coke, it's the real thing. They really did. And the reason for it was is they did this campaign knowing that there were so many counterfeits that people were out there wanting to real thing and they were tasting all these knockoffs. They craved, they craved the same thing or they wanted the real thing so bad that they said, and I quote Coke, of the research which shows that young people seek the real, the original. They want an escape from the phoniness. And, and I think in the world today that that's what people want. I am tired of stuff that fails, uh, even in the church world. It's just like, we love you, and then there's backstabbing in the church. And, and it's like, I can't trust a bunch of Christians that they're, you know, they're a bunch of backstabbers and, and, and hypocrites and things like that. Because the love is based on this. Is there real love? Is there the Coke version of love out there? That's what we're looking for. There's another word in the Bible, which is Agape. I know this is not going to be one of those groundbreaking, staggering things for any of you to be like, I've never heard of that. Agape in the Bible is God's love. Now, a lot of times we're going to like make a list and we're going to put these in there and put agape at the bottom. Let me explain something to this. They're not even remotely close to the same. We can't put them in the same category because these are based on feelings or the flesh or emotions. And these are based on the character of God. They're totally different. 
And sometimes we try to associate these uh, of our love. So we'll sit there and say, I know that God loves me, but I know that my spouse loved me and he cheated on me. So therefore, one day God's going to get sick of me. No, it's not even remotely close. You can't compare the two together like that. So in 1 John, we're going to do a study of not just what is love. And today I want to answer that question of what is it? What is it? But I do not only want to answer the question of what it is, but for the next few weeks, I want to show you how it applies to your life. Because I'm going to show you right here, 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another. The Bible is literally saying that our goal in relationships, mom and dad, church people, whatever, our goal is not to love one another this way. Our goal is to love one another this way. And you say, there is no way if you're going to talk about that kind of love that you're wanting me to live out that kind of love. Let's study this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, who, he that knoweth not God, uh, for God is love. Love is mentioned five times in these two passages. He's literally saying that this is God's love. Agape is God's love, but it goes further than that. Let's define it. It is not just the fact that God is love or God has love. The very character of God is the description of love. So this is how we're going to define love. This is how we're going to break it down just to get it from the Bible's perspective. There's so much confusion today. And I'm not not trying to pick a fight with this or even throw stones when I say this. I, I say this out of place of brokenness and confusion because we can see this. When the Bible literally clearly says that God is love. So if I want to know what true love is, or I want to find that love that works in my relationships and my marriage, uh, I want to know to truly how to love my kids. It's based on the character of God, because the definition of love is God. But in the world today, which I know that the world is filled with confusion, and all these kind of things, you know what they say love is? Love is love. Love is love. You step back and I'm like, okay, If I'm trying to define love, and you say love is love, what does that mean? Because I'm no longer defining something as something. It's like if I went up to you and I said, what is a car? Car is car. You say, that doesn't make sense. Well, car is car. You're no longer making an explanation. And I I think we've just accepted some of those things so much that now people are, are, are confused by that. But what they're saying is, Your feelings are justified by your feelings. So whatever your feeling is, that's okay to call it love or whatever. But how far are we going to take that? Number one, there's no definition of love anymore. So there's no way of defining it or explaining to everybody because come up and say, is this love? Oh, love is love. So that's love. And I'm telling you, we're going to have issues as we program our minds from that. Because one thing is, in order to say that love is love, we have to take out God. And that's what's happening in the world around us. And this isn't an attack on the world of, oh, like, why don't I just say, stop, wait a minute. Do you understand why there's so much confusion in the world? Because we're taking out the definition, you take out God, and all there is is confusion. That's the world that we live in today, that God is love. How does this make things different? See, the fact is that God's love is not based on feelings or emotion, but it's based on his character. So agape love still means desire. It still means a drive. It still means passion. It's still so do all these kind of things. I, I help my kids and I help my friends and I, I go out of my way for people because there's a drive or desire, but those things are limited. But God still has that. 
But on top of that, it's matched with his character that when God steps in to do something, he does it with grace and patience and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. It's married to his character. This love is strong because God is strong. This, strong, this, this love lasts because God never fails. It doesn't give up on us because God doesn't give up on us. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. To know God is to know true love. So the world that is failing and searching and striving, and what is it? I want to feel it. I want to have this in my life. And they're like, where is it? The Bible is literally saying if they don't know God, they don't know love. So they're over here trying to fail in life or struggling with life because they're missing something. It's more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. God is love. True love is God and God alone. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Love not only is God, love comes from God. So any kind of relationship or anything in this world that's going to last is not going to last because of your feelings. Your faithfulness to God, your sacrifice for your kids, marriages that are going to last 50, 60 years, all this isn't going to be there. The Bible says God is love, but love comes from God. That's how we define love. This changes everything. So the more we study God, the more we study love. The more I get to know God, the more I understand love. So the Bible takes it to the next level, and there's the demonstration of God's love. You say, what does that look like? Because it's got to look different than this. We know this, but it's got to look different than this. What does it look like? Because it's not found in the world today. You know, a lot of people, even our young people, will run from the idea of marriage because they've seen this fail so much. That's why if we have godly marriages, things are different. They experience divorce and backstabbing and heartbreak and broken families. And they, but, but the thing is, everybody desires something different. Give me, I, I just want it. And that's why we fall in love with love stories. That, that's why people do that, because they, they, that we can act it out in such a way, but there's no feelings and emotions behind it. There's nothing. You can act out anything. John knew the love of God. The, the, the thing about it, this story that we're getting into in the book of 1 John was written by the guy that walked with Jesus Christ. And this is so important for you to understand. He, he was so captivated by God's love, that he wrote about it over and over again. The book of John, the Bible has a number of times that it talks about love in the Bible. In 1 John alone, in these five chapters, he mentions love 44 times. 44 times. If you go back to the book of John, which he wrote, which is the apostle that he wrote about who God Jesus was and what he came to do, that's where you find that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. One of the most powerful verses about God and God's love is found from the writings of John. If you go back to the beginning of John, he begins to explain this. And I want to just lay this out, why this is so important to study First John. Jesus was one, 20, uh, one of the 12 disciples. And the Bible says, he said this, John said this at the beginning of this, and it can be up on the screen, you don't have to flip there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word <clears throat> was God. When I hear the word of God, when I hear the story of God, when we hear the Old Testament, all these other things, that is God. Let's take it to the next level. John uh, 1, 14, he said, this is so cool. He said, it's no longer just the word. And the word was made flesh. Who is the flesh? You guys tell me, who was the flesh? Jesus. That's Jesus. And Jesus dwelt among us. And John was getting excited. And he said, let me tell you guys, it was no longer just hearing about it. 
It was a matter of experiencing it because we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And let me tell you, it was everything that we were heard that it would be. It was full of grace and truth. The word of life is Jesus, and Jesus is agape love. That's not me making a stretch for that. That's how John literally writes this out at the very beginning. Before we get into John 3, he just says, let me tell you, God is love. We know that. God, God sent Jesus into the world, and we got to see the love of God. John experienced this in such a personal way when he was describing this. In John 13, verse 23, it says, And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, on the chest of Jesus, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Do you know who he was talking about? Himself. He's literally saying, he goes, he goes let me tell you, I, 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 there's a song, and I've mentioned this to you guys before, that I love hearing when I was growing up in the song. It was just an older song. And part of the song goes, he loves me like I was his only child. It's how the love of God was. John was like, let me tell you guys. I'm not just saying this. I saw it. In the times that I was falling apart when he says, and there was John literally on, on the chest of Jesus, leaning in on Jesus, broken for what's going on in their lives and what Jesus was about to do on the cross. He said, John was like, can I tell you about this love? Can, can I tell you, I know what's in the world and I know how we feel, but let me introduce you to something that is so radically different. You can hear the excitement in his voice. You can hear the passion in his voice. It's, 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 we're searching for this. John was like, hey, let me tell you guys, I found it. By the time we get the first John, he is so excited about explaining the love of God because he was able to fully experience it on the cross. John is talking about Jesus, talking about true love. So we get to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. We won't go very far with this, but I want you guys to just get the idea of this. This is what he was doing. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Remember, what is the word of life? It's Jesus Christ. He said, let me tell you guys, we heard about it. I can tell you about it. We heard the message. I can tell you about Elijah and the Old Testament and Daniel. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you from my heart. I got to handle. I got to see. I got to experience it for myself. He said, it was which we looked upon and handled. For the life was manifested. It was made flesh. I saw it came to the world and we have seen it. He said, I bear witness and I show unto you that eternal life, literally what he does, doesn't fade. It doesn't fall away. It doesn't fall apart. It's real. It's different. Which the Father has manifested under, unto us. And that which we have seen and declare unto you, seen and heard, we declare unto you that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship, our interaction is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, these things that I write unto you, that your joy might be full. It's almost like when you live your whole life of this, and it's disappointment, and marriage doesn't work, and relationships don't work, and forgiveness isn't there, and churches fall apart, and there's backbiting, and stabbing, and backstabbing, and all these different things that go on, and you're just like, man, I'm just done with it. Kids that grow up and say, I don't think I'll ever get married. I'd rather just rather move in with somebody that way that there's no commitment and that's the world that we live in because it's all based on this and john was like i know that i know that can i show you something come over here let me tell you what i experienced through god 
Let me tell you that there is something so drastically different. You say, don't sit there and say, I don't know. I saw it with my eyes. I was there. I experienced it for myself. I can tell you this is it. By, we get, by the time we get to 1 John 4, 9, he said, and this was manifested the love of God towards us. He said, literally, this is how it was. Because God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him, not just go to heaven. He said, literally, what I'm talking about, this is, he said, what, this is how God's called us to live, not just know. It's no longer knowledge. Guys, for us to go to church and sing about the love of God and thank God for the cross, God says, no, this is something for you to live out. It changes you. He says, here in his love. It wasn't, it wasn't just that he loved us, but he's, that we loved him, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation of the covering of our sin. He said, I, 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 I didn't get it. He said, I'll be honest, guys. I, I thought Jesus was going to abandon us. And we struggled with that up and down. We really did. But he said, can I tell you, in the verse says that he, his love towards us because his, that he might live through him, that he, he manifested love towards us, that he sent his only begotten son in the world to die. He said, I was there. I was there when Jesus, literally, Peter comes up, and I'm sure he told this story many times. And Peter was like, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to defend you, Jesus, and pulled out the sword and ran up to him. And Jesus was like, no, you're not doing that. Peter would have been like, I didn't understand at the time, but Jesus was literally taking my place. He went as a lamb to the slaughter. He laid down his life for us. He opened not his mouth. He gave himself as a sacrifice. He, he, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't call down angels. He didn't strike them dead because that's what we would have done. Think about if, if this would have been, any of these characteristics would have been there when it came to our love and what Jesus did for us on the cross. If it would have been there, Jesus would have thrown down the cross and say, you know what? None of you deserve it. You don't, you don't deserve this. You're going to spit in my face after all I've done for you. But no, that's not it. There was another kind of love. He manifested his love through Jesus Christ who endured the cross and loved and went on anyways because it was something richer and deeper than man's love. It's not just a matter about talking about it. It says, verse 9, and God sent his only begotten son into the world. He said, literally, we got to see it for ourselves. If you want to study and know real love, then you study and know Jesus. I'll give you this as a description of God's love. In the Bible, there's a couple of words that we use for that. Another word that we use for our love or God's love is charity. And when you get to 1 Corinthians, when he was talking about it, he said, you want to know what love is? Do you truly, truly, truly want to know what love is? He said, and, and let me tell you, he says, well, we know what it is. When you fall in love, it goes, okay, stop for a minute. Love, agape, God, Jesus, charity, suffers long. It's patient towards those when they don't deserve it. It keeps caring when it's hard. Charity is kind. It it selfishly cares for others. Selfishly gives of themselves. It doesn't envy. It doesn't vaunt itself up. It's not puffed up. It doesn't disown others. It doesn't unfriend others. It doesn't write people off on Facebook. It doesn't get mad and gossip in the hallways. It doesn't stab them in the back. It doesn't say, I'll never talk to you again. That's not love. It does not behave itself unseemly. It it doesn't turn on people. It doesn't seek out its own. It's not easily provoked. I'm paraphrasing here. It doesn't, it, it thinks no evil. 
It's not selfish. It's sacrifices for others. He said, let me tell you, the love of God, literally, he, he got up and was like, I don't deserve it. I worked hard. And Jesus got up, took out of his robe, and washed their feet and said, well, he didn't have to do it. He did that because he was driven by love. Yeah. Rejoice is not an iniquity. He doesn't get excited when somebody else fails or falls because you didn't like them. But it rejoices in the truth. It bears, beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. It endures all things. It carries burdens. It walks with you through hard times. It wishes the best for you. Charity, love, agape, true love never fails. Verse 8. I can promise you right now, in the world that we live in today, we'd scratch our head and say, okay, that's not it. But I want that. I want that. And I'm not just talking about having it as for like salvation or having it as the visual of the cross or having it as the story of Easter. This is where this is where we get real, guys. Okay, and all these different things. And we say, amen. I'm glad Jesus was that way. I'm glad he loves beyond my thoughts. I'm uh, faults. I'm glad he reached into the darkness. I'm, I'm glad he never leaves me nor forsakes me and say, guys, oh, no, 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 you're not getting the message, are you? Because true love will totally transform your life. That's what 1 John is about. He's just referencing the book of the gospel of John saying, hey, this is what he did. And 1 John, he comes back and says, and this is why. Listen to this. We know what God did. We know the love of God. We know that love is God. Love is God. True love, not this love. True love is God. So it says in verse 15 of 1 John 4, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Do you get it? You say, okay, whatever. That, that doesn't work. And John says, let me show you this. If when you accept Jesus Christ, this comes to dwell in you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Here's what I'm saying. When you have God, you have true love. You don't have to search it out. You don't have to scratch your head. You don't have to watch some sort of romance movie to try to figure it out. This is what we should be living out in our lives because the Bible is explaining that he that dwelleth in you, he dwells in you. He's making a point that God's love resides in you. God's love resides in us. It's not just that I was impacted in that. I, I, we've got to stop this, this, this mindset like, I love being around the love of God and God's people and you should give this out. It's not just something that I get around. Do you understand that the whole point of this, this is what comes to live inside my life. When you get saved, you are radically transformed because it's not a religious decision. It's not signing the church uh, records and, and joining membership. And it's not all, it's not just being baptized. The Spirit of God literally comes inside of your life and begins to change you from the inside out. And that Spirit that dwells inside of you is the Spirit of agape love. The word dwelleth, dwell, means to stay, to abide, to continue, to present. It means to remain. You realize that when God's love comes inside of us, God says, I'm not walking out. That's why we know that we have this security in Jesus Christ of knowing that we're saved. Because God says, you're always like, I hope I didn't mess up so bad that God walks out of me. God says, no, 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 no. That's not who I am. That's who you are. He said, let me bring you this. This is who I am. And the character of Jesus Christ is that I don't walk out. 
you mess up, you fail, you've been out of church, you ran to the world, you've done all these things, but I promise you, you are sealed by the Spirit of God that dwells inside of your heart, and that love inside of your heart you can't get rid of because God doesn't run out on us. But let me show you, it's it's not just that his love resides in us, stays, continues in this. True love changes us. Because he's in your life, he changes your life. It's not a matter of these things changing your life. You know why these things can't change your life? Because they're feelings and emotions that are up and down, good days and bad days. You made me mad, you made me happy, you, you ticked me off, and I like you today, and I don't like you tomorrow, and I wrote you off, and I unfriended you, and all these things. It says in verse 13, Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Do you know what the spirit of God is? Literally, the Bible says you are bought with a price. Therefore, you are not your own. You are not that anymore. And God steps into our life and he begins to change you from the inside out. That's what sanctification is. For a lot of us, we're just totally satisfied with the fact that I've got a ticket to heaven. And God said, I didn't just die to give you a ticket to heaven. I died to change your life. And some of you, I'm a bad dad and I cuss all the time and I have no patience and I show no love and my kids don't like to be around me. That's just how I am. No, that's just how you were. It's who you were. It's not who you are. Quit settling when God stepped into your life to change you from the inside out. You can take the most hard-hearted, dumb dad in the world and be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God begins to work in your life from the inside out and begins to tell you that that's got to go. And we fight with that. And God says, you know, the problem is, is that bad attitude and that bitterness and that wrath and everything does not match up with me. And I bought you. Every bit of me belongs to God. Every bit of you belongs to God. Can I show you something that's cool that happens with this? This is just, just Bible study right here, okay? Say, I can't change me. And the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 5, okay? And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God, agape of love, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. The shed abroad, is this is cool. God literally says, this is what I do. When the Spirit of God comes in you, the word shed abroad literally means to be poured out and to overcome. God comes into your life like a bucket of water poured into the the soul of man, to the heart of man. And he says, I begin to wash over every aspect of your life. And he reaches into the hard-heartedness and that past and that bitter and that angry and and that voice of anger that you yell at your kids and all those different things that who you were and what you did based on you make me happy, I'll make you happy, but you take me off already. And God says, no, I transform you. And all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and all the temperance and all those things begins to come out of your life. Not because you're a great person, but because you have a great God living inside of you. You are different. And it says, in the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which was given to you. It's not you. So anybody that says, I'll never be that guy, I'll never be that wife, I'll never be that teen, I'll never be able to love in that way, that's right, it's not you, it's him. He does the work inside of your life. As we surrender our lives to Christ. So you say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. God doesn't hijack your life. God, God comes in to change your life, but he doesn't hijack your life. 
God doesn't want a bunch of spiritual robots walking around as Christians. No, he wants people that are changed from the inside out. And the Bible says that no man have seen God at any time, verse 12. If we love one another, God dwelleth in him, and his love is perfected in us. Literally means completed, accomplished, fulfilled. I'm not there yet. I mess up all the time. I fail all the time. The more that I'm in the word of God, the more I'm at the feet of Jesus, the more I'm kneeling at the throne of God, the more that God changes me and corrects me and forms me and makes me into what he wants me. He's, he's not done. This sanctification, this changing from you into the man and the woman that God wants you to be, you just say, I'm not there yet. Just come back next week. What do you do next? Come back next week. Be in the word throughout the week. Let the word of God change in you. And the bottom line at the end is, is beloved, let us love one another. This begins to all of a sudden shine in your life come home and your kids are experienced the work of God in your life. It is not you. It's God's love. It's real love. It comes out and it impacts your kids and your marriage and your neighbors in a way that you never thought possible. What is love? God is love. And it is real. And it doesn't fade or fail. And it will change your life.